This morning we're continuing on in our studies in 2 Corinthians. So let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we are looking at verse 12 to verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Let me offer up a word of prayer and we will dive into this here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can gather together. Thank you, Lord, that your word to us is so open and so real and so relevant. It's, it's for today, absolutely. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the wisdom that you give to us and the, the practical things that we can bring into our lives, Lord, to, to navigate through life in the best way possible. Thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, sometimes people go to, um, and I understand this, and I'm not trying to be critical of what I'm about to say, um, with, with what I'm about to say. Uh, a lot of people go to, to a lot of kind of self-improvement seminars and things like that, and, and they're honestly looking for a way to navigate through life and, and try to do things better and try to handle life better and have a positive mental attitude and all of that. And I'm not here to attack those things, but I am just saying, you know, the Bible is so relevant for everyday living. And, and today in this passage that we're going to study, the Apostle Paul, really God, by, through the Apostle Paul, is throwing us into the middle of a long argument. Have you ever been uh, in, in a situation with somebody where things have just gotten uncomfortable. You're misunderstanding them, they're misunderstanding you, they're starting to think poorly of you, and it goes back and back months and months, maybe even a few years. And for you to sit down, to, you know, maybe you come in and say, Pastor Bill, would you help us settle this? And I'm listening, and, and the story's going backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards. And it kind of all matters to some degree because all of those things kind of contribute to the to this present moment. That's what we are being thrust into this morning. We are being thrust into and, and dropped into a long-standing, awkward relationship between the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth. And so I pray that you, if you are a caffeine user, hopefully not an abuser, I pray that you are properly medicated for this morning. We are going to do a lot of work today. We're going to read a lot of stuff today, so I, I want you to track with me. I've even prepared, perhaps if necessary, if I sense it, we're going to stand up and do some calisthenics in the middle to wake you up again because we have a lot of reading to do, but it's really necessary to take it all in because I want you to feel, I don't want to just read this, I want you to feel it. I want you to say, oh man, yeah, that's just how I feel sometimes with these certain people. And so uh, that's the plan for today. You can prepare yourself appropriately. Let me give you a little bit of a backstory about Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, even before we start reading. You can just follow along in your notes. It seems that Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. As, as commentators study the Bible and we kind of analyze it, and I'm not, not a commentator, but I do study the Bible and try to make analysis, it seems as though Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We only have two of them. It seems as though he wrote one prior to what is known as 1 Corinthians. He wrote 1 Corinthians, then another letter prior to 2 Corinthians, and then he wrote 2 Corinthians. So the letters that we don't have, obviously we don't have, or God saw fit that they were not to be included in the, in the Holy Scripture. 
Paul had intended on visiting them. And this is where we start the backstory. I want you to turn just a little bit to the left in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, once again, this is really important just to understand the whole drama of the thing. This is like watching, you know, a, a movie where, you know, there's an opening scene and you see something happening and then there's a flashback and it says, one year prior to this, and then you see the backstory and then the present scene makes sense as you understand the backstory. Really important for today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, verses 1 I put to 17, but I think just to 7, at which you are breathing a sigh of relief. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day, uh, we can skip all of that. We can go down to verse 5, actually. He was planning on gathering up some money for people in need. Suffice it to say that. Verse 5. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. So he had intended to to go to a place called Macedonia and on that journey he was going to include them. That was his first plan. But it may be that I were, it may be, maybe, maybe this will happen, that I remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul gave them his original intention. I'm going to Macedonia. I'm going to try to see you. Maybe I can even stay a long time and we can spend a lot of time together. Now, they would be hopefully happy about that because he was their spiritual father. In Acts chapter 18, Paul spent a year and a half establishing the church. So he was the one that God used to bring them to faith in Jesus. He was their spiritual father. So, when we get to 2 Corinthians... Um, we see that that didn't happen. And so they are accusing him, as we're going to see today, of being a double-minded man, of being a man that says, oh yeah, sure, I'm going to do this, but in the back of his mind he's thinking, "Ah, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I'll do it if it's convenient or that kind of thing. There's a lot of accusations against Paul. We're going to see that as we continue to work our way through. Um, Their criticism of Paul started much earlier than this. Turn to the left in your Bible again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I just want you to to catch all of this. I want you desperately to feel the kind of pressure that Paul was feeling, the kind of sorrow that Paul was feeling. In both 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to do a degree of self-defense. And the reason he's doing this is because he's bringing the gospel If he brings the gospel and he's accused of things and people start believing false accusations, his ministry is hindered. So he's not defending himself for his own satisfaction. It's for the sake of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. I think he said let people consider us this because people were considering him other things. He has a very gentle, a little bit of a backdoor approach about how he defends himself. Verse 2, Moreover, it is required that that in stewards one be found faithful. Notice verse 3, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. Why might he say that? Because people were judging him. He says, you know, oh well, it happens. It's not going to derail me from my plan. If a human court or if you guys judge me, small thing. 
In fact, I do not even judge myself. I know nothing against myself, verse 4, I am not, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time. He's telling them, look at, don't judge, don't judge me. <laughs> don't come to a final evaluation of me. Notice in the context, until the Lord comes, he will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the, of, the, of the hearts and then each one's praise will come from God. He's simply kind of asking them, look, don't think poorly of me. In the end, God will settle it. And then you'll really know what I was about. Consider this. Paul died. The Corinthian Christians died. In heaven, there was no longer any confusion about Paul's intentions. They got up there and they probably said, oh man, we were blaming you for things that you never did. We were assuming wrong things about you. So sorry. And I'm sure Paul said, it's okay, no worries. That's what he's facing. Now, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. We kind of catch him almost mid-thought. He says, our boasting is this, verse 12, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Verse 13, for we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Verse 14, as also you have understood us in part that we are your, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Talk about long sentences, right? This guy can really write, okay? Verse 12. He, he, as we have seen and as we will continue to see, and I really, I'm going to try really diligently to make this point, he was under attack. He doesn't want to attack them back, but he is reasoning with them. Now he says in verse 12, our boasting is this. Why would he say that? What, and I, and I, I confess that I might be reading between the lines a little bit, but I, I submit it to you for your consideration. Why would he say, well, this is what we boast about? Because as we work our way through Second Corinthians, you will see very clearly other teachers and so-called apostles boasted about other things. They boasted about how great they were. They boasted about what great speakers they were and, and what wisdom they had. So Paul taking a little bit of a softer kind of backdoor approach. He says, well, I guess if we have to boast, this is what we're going to boast about. And then he appeals to them. And I know, I know that I'm getting, I, I know I'm ahead of you in regards of, to, to, know, to knowing where I'm going with this, but I'm telling you ahead of time. They're accusing him. He has to, he has to set up kind of, some kind of defense Look at the title of this message at the top of the page. What to do when you're misunderstood. When you, when you are misunderstood, especially by people that you love and people that you have gone out of your way for and laid down your life for, what do you do with that when you are misunderstood? Not only that, but accused. Here's one of the first things that we see Paul is doing. He has the power and the testimony of a godly life. He's going to reason with these people. They're accusing him. He says, okay, you're accusing me. Well, I can say this for sure. I do have some boasting. Look at chapter uh, 5 here in this book. Turn to the right in your Bible, chapter 5. 
verse 12. He says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to glory on our behalf, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. There were people glorying, bragging, seeking to be impressive by the way that they looked. And Paul's saying, we're trying to give you an opportunity to be boastful in a godly way about who we are in Christ. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. He says, if we are beside ourselves, what does that mean? If I'm out of my mind, to be beside yourself is like, here's you, and then here's you. And you are talking to you, and you are talking back. You and your friend, you and yourself. That means you're out of your mind. He's kind of being sarcastic with them. If I'm out of my mind, why would he say that? Because probably some were saying, he's a little bit crazy. Yeah, Paul, he's a little, he said he's going to come, but he doesn't come. He's a little bit crazy. I, am I reading between the lines? Yes. Is it a sanctified assumption? I think I'm close. I've done this with you guys before. If you're new to the church, you're going to be so blessed by this. I hope you get ready. If I'm at a restaurant and I say, and, and, and I say medium rare, please, what was the question? How do you want your steak, right? We have the answer here. What we don't have is the accusation. But you can kind of imply what the accusation was according to the answer. If I am out of my mind, what's the accusation probably? We think he's out of his mind. He says, oh, well, if I am out of my mind, verse 13, it's for God. If a sound mind, it's for you. The love of Christ constrains us. Verse uh, 6, jump down to verse 15. He died for all that those who should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16, really strong verse. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why would he say that? Because people were regarding others according to what? The flesh. Somebody would walk in, they look super good, they're super eloquent, they have the like most expensive cologne money can buy, they're just, they come in, they dominate the room, everybody goes, wow, we want to hear him talk. That never happened with Paul. History tells us that he was an older man, balding, bent over, very large nose, crippled and had eye problems and shuffled along. When he walked in the room, you'd be nice to him, but you'd ask him to sit in the back. He wasn't impressive physically. Others were. But Paul says, you know, you can say what you want about uh, us, but this is, our, this is what we do with life. Verse 16, we judge, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Paul says, I have to confess to you, that's how I even judge Jesus. I judged, I looked at him and I said, this, this crazy itinerant preacher from Nazareth? Why should we follow him? He couldn't possibly be the Messiah. Paul had made the same mistake and he, now he's saying, we don't make that mistake anymore. But the Corinthians guys were still making that mistake. Back to chapter 1, verse 12. Glad your caffeine's holding up. We're going to keep moving forward. He says, our boasting is this. this. This is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. We conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity, godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. Look at your notes. Simplicity means this, with singleness of purpose. Paul says, when we were with you, we only had one purpose. We weren't trying to bring Jesus to you and, by the way, gain a little financial support. We weren't trying to bring Jesus to you and, by the way, gain followers for ourselves. We weren't trying to bring Jesus to you and have a Paul of Tarsus fan club. We only had one reason. 
We wanted to bring Jesus to you. Godly sincerity means purity and unmixed motives. He says, we, we, we lived not by fleshly wisdom, not by pure, uh, purely human cleverness or reasoning. Dear people, I, I get stuff in the mail all the time in emails about people that are excited to sell me their new book about how to grow a big church. And you know what? If I follow their methods, the room would be full, but it necessarily wouldn't be full with the Spirit of God. It'd just be full of bodies. There are clever ways to fill a room. But that's human reasoning. And Paul said, when we came to you, we didn't use any tricks, we didn't use any human reasoning. We were pure and sincere and simple. He said, by the grace of God, everything that we did among you, and, and, and the, church, the church itself was a testimony of what God had done. There was a church there. Paul preached and stayed with him 18 months, and there was a church there. It was the divine favor and the divine help of God that helped that to be established. And he said, more abundantly toward you, to a greater degree than normal. I, I have to kind of giggle a little bit, and it might be kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but it would be me, like me saying, oh, I don't know, to any one of you, you know, my life with you, I only had one thing in mind, I didn't have any mixed motives, uh, I didn't use any cleverness, everything was done by the grace of God, and oh, by the way, for you, I needed extra. <laughs> you guys get that? You can go ahead and laugh. I think it's funny. That was a courtesy laugh. <laughs> everything, that, everything that I did with you was by the grace of God, and man, I needed the grace of God for you. They were problematic people. He's gently reminding, everything was by the grace of God, but man, look at it. It says it right there. I'm not making it up. More abundantly towards you. You guys were a mess. But I didn't use, I had no secondary motives with you. Verse 13 we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. There were no hidden meanings or cover-up with Paul's communiques with them. Paul hoped that someday they would understand him the way he understood them. That they would someday understand he wasn't trying to use them he just said, the way, I, the way that I feel for you, I hope someday you'll really understand. Now that totally resonates with me. Anyone else? When you just have so much love for somebody and you are, you are sacrificing and doing everything you can to make life as good for them as you possibly can and they're accusing you of, and, and you're destroying their life. Well, I won't ask for anybody to raise their hand on that one. We're on YouTube. <laughs> That's hurtful. And Paul's just simply saying, you know, I hope someday you get it. I hope someday you understand. Verse 14, Paul gave them credit for understanding him partially. They understood him partially, but not enough to be proud of him. You know, one of my great joys as a pastor, one of my great joys as a pastor is to be able to look at you guys and walk up to you and say, you know what, I'm so proud of you. Because I, I've seen some of you really walk through the fire. I've seen some of you grow a lot. I've seen some of you take steps of faith, give your life away, give your material possessions away. I've watched you guys do that, and I love to be able to say as a pastor, I'm so proud of you. And I'm not looking for a pat on the back, but when anybody says that to me, it's really encouraging to me. When somebody says, you know, your ministry here is making a difference in my life and the life of my family and all that. Paul was basically saying, you know, I'm so proud of you. I hope someday you'll be able to be proud of me. 
because you'll know my intentions towards you. There's, a, there's a, a, an alternate translation down there, the New Living Translation, NLT. Let me read this. Paul says this, Our letters have been straightforward. There's nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on that day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Isn't that beautiful? What do you do when you're misunderstood? The first thing that we ought to be able to do is to say this. And I have done this. I've been misunderstood. I'll even say it. I've been accused. (laughs) Just like you guys. I've been accused. I've been misunderstood. I've been told all kinds of things, just like you guys have. And I love to be able to say, before the Lord, I'm asking you, my friend here, think back on the years that you've known me. How, how have I offended you? Haven't I always lived, hopefully, with sincerity, simplicity, not fleshly wisdom, by the grace of God? Haven't I lived that way with you? He's asking them to consider him. They're all worked up because they're listening to these people that glory in appearance and all that. They're, they're listening to all this other stuff. They're listening to the accusations against Paul. But Paul is asking these people that he loves, would you just stop a minute and flip back through the pages of our relationship? And would you, have I been that way with you? Am I really that way with you? He's appealing to them, you guys. How nice it is to have a godly life to be able to appeal to someone with. If somebody's misunderstanding you right now and you're in conflict with, with somebody and you don't have a godly life, then that's probably the place where you need to start. Maybe there are some things in your life that need to get turned around. But if you have been right-hearted with people, you don't have to say, "Eh, well, you're this, and you don't have to turn it into a shouting match. The best thing you can do, if if it's possible, and I pray that it is possible with all of you, is to be able to say, have I really been that way with you? I don't think I've been that way with you. Does that make sense? That's the best thing. You don't win somebody over to your side or you don't win somebody to the truth by outshouting them. You win somebody over to the truth by reasoning with them. Even when they're pointing a finger in your face and having their little huddles over, the, over here uh, gossiping about you. And that's what was happening here. They're, they were gossiping and accusing their spiritual father. And you know what? He, he didn't say, go to your room and I'm going to get out the belt and whip your rear end and all. He didn't say that. He says, have I really been that way with you? He's reasoning with them. Dear people, I just, this, to me, this is better than any positive mental attitude seminar that you, could, that you have to pay lots of money to go to. This is free. Come to church. Let God counsel you. This is very relevant. For anybody that says the Bible's not relevant today, they haven't read it. If they've read it, they haven't understood it. This is for like today. I would guess that this is for some of you in the room right now. If you're not able to go back to, the, to that person and say, have I, well, how have I done these things? Well, you know, They might point some things out that you don't want to hear. Receive it, get the log out of your eye be- before you try to get the speck out of theirs. But this is how we handle disagreements to be able to go and ask somebody, have I really been that way with you? And you better be ready for an answer. If you have been, then you need to own it. But if you haven't been, then you're, you're going to get them to think about it. And you're diffusing the situation. That's the first thing you do when you're misunderstood. Present your godly life to them. Hopefully there is one there. And if you've been wrong, accept it. And humility is pretty sweet. Humility can diffuse a lot of situations as well. Here's the problem between them, and this is where we're going to do a little more uh, kind of 
backstory stuff. And this, I just copied this off of David Gusick, Pastor David Gusick from Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara. Uh, why recreate the wheel? He's already recreated it. I'm just going to read through this. You need to understand, it's a little complicated, but I, I, you guys are intelligent. Do we need to stretch yet? Are we okay? Uh, okay. We'll hold off on the stretch. I'm going to get you guys up like cheerleaders here in a minute. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said, I want to come to see you on this trip to Macedonia. In verses 15 and 16 of this chapter, he changed his plans and said, I'm going to see you first on the way to Macedonia, then I'm going to come back. So there's going to be two visits. Paul made the first visit on the way to Macedonia, but it was painful for him. It was full of confrontation. You ever gone to visit somebody that didn't like you? And you're going hoping that things are going to be better. And when you leave and walk out of it, it's like, oh man, that thing exploded. I had hoped for better. Paul said, let me stop on the way to Macedonia. On the way back, I'll stop again. He stopped on the way to Macedonia. Things got worse. It blew up. There was tension. At some time after this visit, Paul or maybe one of his representatives was openly insulted. You can read about that in the scriptures listed. The first visit was so unpleasant, he sensed no benefit for a second visit and just abandoned his plan and went back to Macedonia. It looks like this. I'm going to come and visit this friend uh, that we've had this blow up with. I I love them so much. I've lived honestly before them. They're accusing me of things. I'm going to go visit them uh, on my way to this place here. You stop for a visit. It goes crazy. It's horrible. It's sad. It's grievous. There's tears. There's finger pointing. So you go on to the next thing and you're at the next thing and just thinking, should I go back? And you just think, you know, I don't think it's going to be worth it. The temperature is not right. The climate is not right. It's going to be worse again. And I have done that too. Anybody else? Where you go back a second time and you try to reason with somebody and you just, you just believe in your heart. I think I'm walking into a hornet's nest and it's two hornet's nests. And it's just worse. So he sensed that it wasn't a good idea. And we're going to read that in 2 Corinthians. And he said, and so I changed my plans again. There was a lot of change of plans here. And they're accusing him of being double-minded instead of realizing that he's using wisdom. There's a big difference there. Number six, Titus was sent from Ephesus to Corinth with with the severe letter. We're going to read about that in chapter two when David teaches next week. I believe that was the third letter that was written. Some harsh words were sent to them, some strong words after Paul realized, I can't go back. We're just going to fight again. Titus went also there to collect a contribution to the church in Judea, but the Corinthians were now reluctant to give money. Why? Because they're mad at Paul, probably. See how unsettled relationships can affect giving to God? Are you guys following me? You with me? Yes or no? When we don't settle our relationships with people, it affects so much. Finally, number seven on page one, Paul left Ephesus and suffered his affliction in Asia, and we read about that last week in chapter one. He's explaining to them part of the reason that he didn't go back. The other part was it wasn't wise to go back. Number eight on page two, Paul then went to Macedonia. Among other things, he organized a collection for the needy Christians in Judea. Titus met Paul in Macedonia told Paul about the Corinthians' response to the severe letter. So Paul still cares, but now he's having to get information from his colleague. Finally, number nine, later from Macedonia, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. He heard of more problems and so on and so forth. A lot going on here. 
Let's stand up for a minute. I was, that was not an idle threat. Stand up and reach for the sky. I want you guys to stay thinking here. Just stretch. See what church, what church lets you do this, huh? Come on now. Bend over. No shoulder rubs. We don't have that much time. Okay, sit down. We're going to keep going here. Now, come on. See, doesn't that feel good? Get your brain going. We can have some fun here today on a serious subject. Following the notes, there were some accusations and there were some explanations that happened. I'm just going to read it. The Corinthians viewed Paul as flaky, irresponsible, double-minded, insincere, selfish because of these changes. Plus, other people on the side were whispering into their ears. Well, you know how Paul is. He's a little crazy. He writes really good letters, but when he gets here, he's not very impressive. All of these things are in Scripture. We're going to see them as we continue on through this book. Lots of accusations against Paul. Paul has regularly been misunderstood. He takes time to explain himself. He asks them to think things through and to respond reasonably and spiritually. Now look at number four here. Paul did change his plans. Does that mean you're double-minded? No. No. It doesn't. But he asked them to consider his character in life. Look at verse uh, 17. Well, let's go back to 15 and we'll read down to verse 17. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. I wanted to visit you again. I visited you the first time, then I went to Macedonia, and I wanted to come back to you again to bring more blessings to pass, by way, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, verse 16, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. To be helped by you means when somebody visited a church and they were leaving, the church would get up and walk them out of town, partway out of town, and bless them and send them off with blessings. None of that happened. Paul was looking for cooperation and collaboration. And there was just nothing but friction from these people. Now, verse 17, this is, this is critical, guys, when we are in misunderstandings with other people. Therefore, please take note, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Notice what, notice what he isn't saying. Just as important as what he is saying. He's not saying, hey, I didn't plan this lightly. Now, that's one tone, isn't it? Is it true? Yes or no? He didn't plan it lightly. But how much more palatable and receivable this it is if you say, did I plan this lightly? Do you think, Corinthians, that I got up on that day and said, you know, I think I'm going to mess around with the Corinthians. I think I'm going to do something to frustrate them because they're a bunch of just knuckleheads down there and they do stupid things, so I'm going to give them a dose of their own med- I know what I'll do. I'll tell them I'm going to visit and then not show up. That's what I'm going to do, yeah. I do that with people sometimes. It's a, it's a sanctified sarcasm. It's holy facetiousness. I do that with when I'm counseling married couples. I say, you know, Mr. Smith, do you think that Mrs. Smith actually gets up in the morning and says, Lord, show me ways to frustrate my husband? Do you really? She frustrates me. She does it on purpose. Yeah, you're right. I'm sure she has a long list. Come on, get it out of your purse, Mrs. Smith. I know you have a long list there. I know you bought a book, 300 Ways to Frustrate Your Husband. So many of the things that we do against each other, we don't mean to. 
Maybe we're being selfish, but our intention isn't to make life worse for them. Now back to our, our, our thing at hand, Paul's asking them. He's saying, you know, you're accusing me of some things, but do you really think I meant to do this? Look at verse 17. When I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? Dear people, I want to encourage you, when you are in a misunderstanding situation with somebody, ask them. When you are in a misunderstanding situation with somebody, number one, do you really want it to be settled by the Holy Spirit or do you just want to win the fight? If you want God to settle it with truth, then go in and ask them and just say, did I, do you think I did this and this and this and this? And, and be open for whatever they have to say. But if you didn't, then you're simply asking them to think it through. This is what Paul, this is what Paul essentially is saying in verse 17. Do you think I'm insincere? Do you think I'm flaky? Do you really think I'm double-minded? Do you think I intend to make your life miserable? Is that what you think of me? I wish I had three days to talk about this. Because <laughs> this, this one's hard for me. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes. And, and if I make a mistake outwardly and it's visible, call me on it. But if I make a mistake outwardly invisible and you tell me that I meant to hurt you, you just crossed the line with me. You just built a wall between us. If I was dumb and I forgot an appointment or, you know, whatever, that's all, that's all, that's all open game. That's, that's fair. You can call me on it. If I said something that was rude, that's all fair. But if you start telling me it's because I'm a, an insidiously wicked person and there's probably a secret agenda that I have to take over Napa. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's when suddenly your, your imagination is no longer being led by the Spirit. It's being led by your flesh. And you're accusing my character. You can judge my acts all day long. But when we start... I really want to get this to you guys. When we start accusing one another's character, you're, you're blocking somebody in. You're... you're backing them up against the wall and you're giving them no way out. Dear people, that's one of the worst things you can do to another Christian, to anybody. It's one of the worst things you can do to accuse their character. One of the worst things you can do because you've made up your mind you're judge, jury, and executioner and they have no outlet with you now. They have no outlet. Did the Corinthians have a right to be disappointed that he didn't come? Sure, absolutely. Did they have a right to judge him? Not a bit. Not a bit. Could Paul have swung the, the apostolic bat on them, per se? Yeah, maybe some, but he doesn't. Look at verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Salvianus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Paul, in verse 21, Paul points out 
that God had called them all. Oh, I've got ahead of myself. Verse 18. Paul affirms to them in verse 18 that he is not, that it is not his way or intention to be double-minded. Look at verse 18 again. As God is faithful, I wasn't saying yes when I meant no. And he appealed to the Lord on that. Notice how they're backing him into a corner. Have you ever felt backed into a corner? All you can do is say, as God is my witness at that point. It's really uncomfortable. Don't back people into corners. Reason with them. But don't back them into corners. Verse 19, The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us by you, by me, or excuse me, preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus Timothy, he's not yes and no. Jesus isn't like saying yes but meaning no. It's a little bit awkward language, but this is what I think that it means. If you're following Jesus, it's always yes. It's always a yes. Paul could say to the Corinthians, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, I'm planning to come to you. That's a yes. Then he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I made a change of plans, and that's a yes. I'm going to come to you twice. And then he goes to visit them once, and that's a yes. But it didn't turn out so good. So he goes to Corinth, and now he's wondering, should I go back? He goes, I don't think I should go back. It's just going to be more painful, so I'm not going to go back. And that's a yes. Because he was being led not by his flesh or not by his hurt emotions, and trust me, he was hurt. But he was able to say, you know, in the Lord, I've followed the Lord on all of this. i followed Jesus in all of this. And it's not yes and no, because in Christ, it's always yes. In November, we started a... Uh, a Sunday night service. I wanted to investigate it and I put it on Facebook and there was a little bit of excitement and, and then uh, Jen Neme came to help and she oversees the children's ministry and um, after a month we said we should offer some kids ministry and she was feeling it too and so, you know, we had, I think on our biggest night we had eight or ten people which I'm fine with. I'm fine with eight or ten people and I would just sit down here and play the guitar we'd have a little Bible study over here and this is the holy section Bible, except over here there's a, there, I'm, I'm just so we just have these cool little intimate gatherings and I like little intimate gatherings we would talk and it was very informal and all of that and we kept going kept going kept going until a few weeks ago uh, less and less people were coming and then there was one couple that were coming and I asked them I said is this really helpful for you because if it is we'll keep doing it and they said no we're just coming to support you I said oh God bless you guys you're just wonderful I love you guys we're done. <laughs> no more Sunday nights. So we, try, we tried it in faith. Yes. We stopped it in faith. Yes. It was all a yes. Was I in the flesh when I planned it? No. Was I in the flesh when I stopped it? No. It was all a yes because it was in Christ. Paul's plans were all a yes, but because they were fussy and listening to the wrong people and immature. Well, you're this and you're that and you're double-minded and you're these things and all... Are you guys with me? Do we have to stretch again? And we can make it, right? We don't need to stretch. It was all yes. But if you're walking in the flesh, you don't see it that way because you had a plan about how you wanted it. And then when it's not a yes according to how you think it should go, then you start impugning somebody's character. Who's called the accuser of the brethren? You want to go there? I'll talk about somebody's misactions and, and, and mis, missaid words, but I won't tell you exactly why they did it because I don't know their heart. 
That's very dangerous ground. If I could make a rule in our church, I would say that's never allowed. It's never allowed to judge somebody's intentions. Never. Because you can't know. Even if you have a strong hunch, keep it to yourself. Because I've, I've judged people's intentions and I've been wrong and I'm glad I didn't share it because I would have spread the poison to other people. There's a lot, that, there's a lot that's wrong in, in society and a lot that's wrong with the church when that stuff happens. A lot. That seems to be the, you know, the meat and potatoes of politics these days, doesn't it? How many of you are sick of that? Oh, God, help us. Judging people's intentions. Mr. Trump says we have to secure our borders. Oh, so you like children drowning in the ocean? That kind of stuff, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying pro or con. Again, I'm not, it's just an example. Immediately we start assassinating reputations. And notice how gently Paul is reasoning with them. He's not fighting fire with fire. He's fighting, he's fighting hatred with truth and love. This is tremendous to me. Verse 20. All the plans, of, all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen. To the glory of God, who through, of, uh, to the glory of God, uh, through us. In the end, when Paul died and went to heaven, and the Corinthians died and went to heaven, the Corinthians would say, "Oh, glory to God, Paul. We had no idea what you were doing. We were mad at you. We can't believe how right you were. Now, please forgive us. Glory to God for the wisdom He gave you." And glory to God for the forgiveness that you gave us. Verse 20, all the promises of God, uh, we did that. Verse 21, look how gentle he is with them, you guys. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He's including them. He's not doing an us and them. It's me against you and you against me. Look what he says. Now he, God who establishes us with you, we're together you're, we're Christians. You're Christians. God did this. We're all, we're all under him. We're all in him. It's all through him. Can you see the unity there? It's beautiful. He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He says, by the way, God has called us to this. But we're all together. It's a great, it's a great statement of unity. Verse 22, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Paul had that internal witness of the Holy Spirit. They had that inter internal witness of the Holy Spirit. See how inclusive he's being. Guys, when you're misunderstood, don't build a higher wall and get bigger guns. I heard somebody say something on the radio once. When we get in an argument and people are throw throwing mud at each other, everybody's losing ground. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You don't do that. May, may I lovingly and quite frankly say I'm appalled at how we treat each other sometimes. It's awful. It's awful. People do it in front of me in the counseling office. It's a good thing I'm not a younger man full of testosterone. I just rip their face off. I wouldn't, but it's just awful to see it. It's awful to see it on social media. It's awful. Jesus never did that, praise the Lord, right? He never did that. Pontius Pilate said to him, don't you know I have power over you to give you life or death? And Jesus said, you have no power at all. 
You have no power at all. Verse 23, I think we're on, right? Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you no more I came to Corinth. You don't believe me. You think I'm selfish. You think I'm a chicken. You think I'm double-minded. But I'm telling you, if I would have come back, it wouldn't have been good. They probably didn't see that for a long time. If you're going through a misunderstanding with somebody right now, don't, don't demand to be understood on every level right now. Appeal and ask them how, how, how you've lived before them. Share with them your intentions. Be open to everything. Don't fight. Don't accuse. Don't malign character and reputation. And don't, ex- and don't be surprised if you're not understood right away. Finally, verse 24 Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow workers for your joy. By faith you stand. I love that verse. Paul said, you know what? We don't have dominion over your faith. Has he told them them once in this thing what they have to do? Not once. Has he asked them to think it through? Yeah. He hasn't made any demands. He's our spiritual father. He's an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. He hasn't made any demands. I don't have dominion over your faith. Conversely, I'm a fellow worker for your joy. I'm here to make your life more joyful as you walk in faith. By faith you stand, he says. Look at your notes. going to read a couple things. If you have any questions, you can text them in. Try to answer them. I want to clear some things up. I don't think it happens here so much, but I think it happens... Well, in some, some of this it doesn't happen here at all. Not that we're any better than anyone. We're just right on some things, I think. Does a pastor have a divine right to tell people what to do? Some churches say yes. They'll arrange your marriages for you. They'll tell you a lot of things. I think that's hellish. I can't tell anyone what to do. I can't make anyone do anything. I can't make anyone agree that they should change their life follow God or repent. I will reason with people, I will appeal to scriptures, I will appeal to life experience, but I can't make anyone do anything. That's, there's good precedent for that with the Apostle Paul. Secondly, when does a pastor take authority over the life of someone? I can't tell someone what to do, but I will tell them what they can't do. And I've done this, and we do this here. If, if you're visiting, this is what we do. I will tell them, you can't come to Cornerstone and hurt, scare, intimidate, gossip, lie, slander, seduce, steal, defraud, lust after, or manipulate anyone in this church. I will tell you that. If you're you're doing it, we'll, we'll chat. If you're doing it more, we'll chat. If we're doing it more, we'll buy you a ticket to Kansas. I can't tell you what to do, but I will tell you what you can't do. You can't come here and hurt people. That's fair, don't you think? Shouldn't shouldn't church be a safe place? I think so too. But we'll start by reasoning with people. Reasoning from the scriptures. Guys, the most important, it's really easy for, for people to take orders because if you take orders, you don't have to think. You don't have to make a judgment call. All you have to do is take orders and go along and just say, well, I'm just obeying. I'm just doing what they told me to do. That doesn't promote maturity at all. That doesn't promote discipleship at all. That doesn't promote you hearing from, the, from God at all. 
Finally, it's all done for people's own good and the good of the church. Let me read this quote from Ray Steadman. Allie, can you join us? Listen to what Ray said. This is a very important principle because here the apostle is challenging one of the widespread misunderstandings in the church in our day. Paul says, look, I am not your boss. If I had come to Corinth the way I had originally planned after having paid you a painful visit, it's very likely my own powerful personality, my strong will, my position as a respected apostle would have put such pressure upon you that you would have obeyed me, but not out of conviction that that was what the Lord wanted you to do. So I did not come in order that you might preserve freedom, in order that you might preserve freedom to do what God wants, not what I want. If he had come, he would have given them the impression that he had authority over them, but that is not true, he says. We are not lords over your faith. We are not your boss. We have no authority to tell you what to do or what to say or how to act, but rather, in a beautiful phrase he puts it, we are helpers for your joy. That's wonderful, isn't it? I love that. Guys, I just want us to, I want us to learn together, and I've had to learn too, and I'm, I'm, I'm no better than any of you guys at all. We, we need to learn how to suffer in a godly way. When people insult us and accuse us and make statements about us or whatever they, and especially when it's people that we've loved and tried, really genuinely tried to help and, and we're getting we're not only getting ignored, but they're attacking us. That's extremely difficult for me. I imagine for all of you guys too. Extremely difficult. What do you do when you're misunderstood? You act like Jesus. He had all the power of heaven and earth to, to strike back at people, and he became the sacrificial lamb for our sins. Paul the Apostle says in Romans that people consider us like sheep going to the slaughter, like dumb animals for following Jesus. Jesus looked like the dumb sheep going to the slaughter. For what purpose? To save people from their sins and they wouldn't understand. How many of we didn't understand that before we came to him, did we? And he was so patient with us and we maligned him and used his name like a curse word and all the things we did to offend God and he never squashed us. He reasoned with us. Somebody shared the gospel with us and we said yes to him. And we need to follow that example. It means we need to die to ourselves over and over and over again. May the Lord help us, amen.